Welcome to The Unstoppable Singer. I'm your host, Danielle Tucker, a professional vocalist, vocal coach, and a lead singer of the Mighty Untouchables Band. I'm also the producer and host of the Pandemic Proof Singer Summit and The Unstoppable Singer. The Unstoppable Singer follows the lives of real professional singers who've made incredible achievements in their lives and careers. We cover everything from voice work, making money, booking gigs, songwriting, recording, session work, and more. If you haven't yet, hit that subscribe button so you never miss another podcast. Now on with the show. It is Shelly Francis. Uh, Raised in Central California, Shelly started belting out songs from the backyard cherry tree at the tender age of three. And after singing in church with a Christian folk band for two years, Shelly began her professional singing career at the young age of 21. Uh, She went on to develop an incredible vocal range and sings in a dizzying array of styles and genres from sultry jazz to powerhouse vocals for rock, pop, country, and dance music. She's a versatile performer with extensive experience both on stage and in the recording studio. Shelly has appeared with various bands for casinos, corporate uh, corporate shows, private parties, and nightclubs. She even had her own San Diego-based contemporary and classic rock cover band called Firefly. Shelly recorded a six-song demo produced by Max T. Barnes at Curb Studio in Nashville back in 1999 and had a recording contract offered just days before the tragic events of 9-11 occurred. So let me bring her on and we will dive right in with Shelly. Hi, Shelly. Hi, Danielle. How are you? Thanks so much for having me. I'm so happy to have you here. It's such an honor. We've tried to connect and make this happen for a long time now. So I'm glad we're finally here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's just, let's go for it, Shelly. Let's take us back in time and tell us a little bit how your journey began as a singer. Um, you, As I introduced you, you started singing at three years old. Did you come from a musical family? Well, actually, um, I was adopted and uh, at like age two and my mom just had stories about me. She was, you were just always out in the backyard singing in the tree. We had, they had a cherry tree in the backyard and that was like my comfy space. Mm-hmm. And I would just go out there. She said, you sounded like you were belting out opera or something. It was like phonetic opera because mm-hmm. I, of course, didn't know what I was singing or, you know wasn't really talking that much yet but um so that was kind of the start of that and so I didn't really end up having a, my parents tried to be as supportive at whatever you know we we were interested in I had a sister that was adopted from a different situation that I grew up with but um so but they were they were not music people at all Mm-hmm. Um, they like to listen to it, but they, no one in the family was really musical. So, um, they did their best to try and figure out how to support that. And, uh, then in high school, uh, well, I, you know, the kid thing, y'all do the chorus in school and all that yeah. stuff. And, yeah. Um, and then, uh, when I was in high school choir, I, there was a ad in the paper to, um, come and sign up to be in this, uh, it was a uh, Clovis Ideal Miss Pageant. And they had a talent competition, which, so I said, oh, a place to go sing. 
So I wasn't really thinking about the pageant part of it much. I just thought, oh, it'd be cool to go, get to go and have a place to sing. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so I did it, well, and I ended up winning. And so I had to go do a bunch of other stuff. And it was fun, but it was kind of a, um unexpected uh, consequence of, of having a place to sing. But um, mm-hmm. so that's kind of where it all started, of course, at a very young age. And back then, I say back then, because I'm mm-hmm. a lot older. Than you. Um, in the 70s was when I was a teenager. So mm-hmm. do the math. <laughs> but um, so it was uh was quite a trek because back back then, in order for anybody, you, you were kind of like a needle in a haystack. Mm-hmm. Nobody was really going to find you. You kind of had to go and look. You had to mm-hmm. go and seek stuff out a lot because right. nobody was, you know, that was how you did record deals back then was like you had to go and seek stuff out. You had to make connections and do all that kind of stuff, whereas now I think the culture has changed so much because um, the young aspiring singers nowadays have so many avenues available mm-hmm. to them, uh, so you true. know, online, the different, um, you know, websites and social media and all the ways they have to promote themselves mm-hmm. and their own music. When I started everybody discouraged me from trying to do any original music. So mm-hmm. oh, you're never, you'll never make it. The only way you're going to make money when you sing is if you sing with a cover band, you have to sing mm-hmm. with a cover because that everybody, all the nightclubs that were around then they all wanted people that played, played top 40. They wanted people that played music that their patrons would recognize and, and want to get up and dance to. And so that's how that all started. And, so it, it was, um, I, I'm, I'm pleased to see that there's, there's a lot more avenues for young aspiring musicians now to all, you know, there's competition shows. I don't know if you've been watching the, the voice just had their finale last mm-hmm. night and the uh, uh, American idols. It's, it's like, we didn't really have very much of that yeah. back then. I think, when I was in my 20s was when Star Search came out. Remember? Yeah. Star- I was on Star Search, Shelly, as a kid. No. <gasps> yes. <You> were? <laughs> yes. Oh when I was 13 gosh. years old. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. So I remember it well. I was a huge fan, too. My whole family oh, was. I remember, yeah, I remember going to, I went to San Francisco. I got called to come and audition and I uh, went to San Francisco Um to a studio in San Francisco to go and audition. And uh, I was I was just this little kind of raspy voiced rock singer at the time. And almost everybody, all the other singers on the show were all soul singers mm-hmm. and uh, dance, you know, like dancey kind of stuff. They didn't know what to do with me, to be honest. They kind of were like, hmm, do you have any other songs? Because I was singing rock songs to them and they wanted me to sing something different. And I think that was kind of the first the first inkling that I had that, okay, I'm going to have to become more versatile if I'm mm-hmm. going to be able to work in this industry because, um, I, which is kind of sent me on my cover band journey of being able to sing any 
any song, rock, pop, country, and whatever was popular. Because you know how music kind of goes in phases of popularity. What yeah. genre is really popular? There were like a couple really big country phases where everybody loved country. And then that would go out and then everybody loved pop. And then that would kind of fade out because people get bored. And, you know, it was kind of an interesting, uh, that's kind of how the band thing ran when I was here in the, in the Valley when I first started out too. Mm -hmm. um, it, it was like, oh, the biggest, the biggest club in town wants this, this uh, yeah. playlist kind of, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. And, and that's the band would woodshed. We'd put together an entire four sets of that kind of music and we'd be the house band. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Kind of how it worked. And, uh, but then I, when I moved to San Diego, that was like, that was a huge turning point for me when I moved to San Diego. Hmm. So you, um, you trained classically though, when you were younger, is that right? I did. Yeah. I did. And how, I was, how did that come like to be? Yeah, okay. I was 17 and I was training with um, the director of the Fresno Opera at, at the time. And um, she was a super nice lady, but uh, I, I would get super frustrated because when you're 16 and 17 years old, all you want to do is sing all the popular music that's right. going on there. <laughs> you want to sing the popular stuff. You don't want all that old, you think of it, it's like, you know, oh, it's all old fashioned stuff. And she'd want, she'd be making me learn arias and I'd be, I'd be fighting her every step of the way. <laughs> she, she made deals with me. If you'll learn this aria for me, I'll help you get this pop song ready for this performance that you're going to do for whatever, mm, you know? Yeah. So that's how I kind of worked my, uh, my vocal coaching back. <laughs> Cause then she could help me, you know, she could help me uh, coach me a little bit on some of the pop stuff that I was singing. Cause I was going and making appearances for like a whole year mm -hmm. as a, a, you know, ideal Miss Clovis. And so I, I would have to go and make these appearances. Well, I'm not going to go to there go to their these other places and and sing an opera aria right they, you know I, I wanted to sing something popular that everybody would want to hear mm -hmm. <laughs> so that's kind of how i worked that yeah and then you you are known for your big power you know vocals and your range how do you think being having that classical training played a role in developing your voice, even though you went down a completely it, different it road. Was everything. It yeah. was everything. Mm. I don't, I would never have even had a clue how to hit some of the stuff that I, that I ultimately was doing mm. um, when I was singing pop and rock. And, and I, you know, every band I was in, they were all, oh, Shelly can sing that, you know, because they knew I could hit the high stuff. So they had me singing Journey and Heart and all the, you know, the big high range stuff because they knew I could do it. But I could not have done any of it had I not had the classical training that I had because it, it taught me my breath control. It taught me how to open, you know, when and how to open my, open my throat to get, hit certain notes. And you just, you just, you know, it, it's part of everything. Classical training was part of everything that I ever sang in my entire career. Yeah. It was, it was, uh, wouldn't have been, it wouldn't have been nearly as successful if I, if I had not had that training. 
Yeah. So. Yeah. That's, that's so fascinating. Um, because I, I think for a long time, we've heard that a lot of people tell singers that, oh, you, you know, you have to have classical legitimate training before you go and choose any style. It's, it's, you know, critical to your foundation. Um, and I was classically trained too. And of course, same story as you never, never even considered going down that road. But you know, that's uh -huh. what was available to me at that time. And while I don't, I don't think that singers nowadays, uh, I don't agree with with the um, opinion that you need to have the classical training. But I agree with you that for myself, I just feel like that training put me in tune with my instruments mm -hmm. so well. And it just, I just Absolutely. knew how, I knew every gear that my voice was capable of. Right. Well, and right before, yeah, right before I went to Nashville, um, my uh, management sent me for a session with Seth Riggs. Do you, are you familiar with Seth yeah. Riggs? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so uh, I went up to LA and met with him uh, I just kind of, they were just like, go and just kind of have a little, um, like a, I guess like a session to kind of just get ready to prepare, to make sure I was doing everything correctly. Cause I, apparently they had, had sent somebody else to a big studio to a recording project. And within five hours, the singer had lost their voice mm. in the studio and mm. couldn't sing anymore. So they wanted to make sure kind of a little tune up, kind of a little assessment to see how I was singing and what was going on. And so I, I paid paid the money, went up and saw, had a session with Seth Riggs. And I sat, I sang for him for about a half an hour and he goes, well, you're doing everything right. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure why you're here. And I went, well, because we want to make sure. I thought, what if I've, you know, taken on some, you know, sometimes when you're singing a lot and mm -hmm. you're performing a lot um, and for four hours, you know, four sets of material, most of the shows that we do are pretty long. Mm -hmm. And um, they were like, let's just make sure you haven't picked up any bad habits along the way. Right. And, you know, right. just to make sure. Mm -hmm. And so it all went really well. I went back and did the studio project and um, my, in fact, my voice got stronger and warmer the longer we were in the studio. It was like mm. beginning of the day was okay. Then by the end of the day, I mean, I was going like one take and they're like, oh, 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 we're going to use it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it was, um, it was a really uh, special time for me when I went, yeah. when I went to Nashville and did all that, but uh, it was challenging. You know, I had kids, I had my had my my daughters when I moved to San Diego I had a one-year-old and a 12-year-old wow and I was trying to take the next steps on my career path mm -hmm. so um, what brought you out to San Diego I had a good friend who had a family member that lived down there and we were both kind of I was just at this like stagnant point at that time. Um, I was uh, living in Merced. I don't know if you know where Merced is. Uh, it's just north of Fresno, a little ways. Um, and I'm the, everything just, it just seemed like everything was kind of a dead end at that point. And I just needed, I needed to change something. 
Mm-hmm. And I think that a lot of people go through that in their lives. I've done it multiple times in my lifetime where I'm sitting in something and I'm just like, how do I, how do I break out of this? Mm-hmm. Where you just get kind of stagnant. You feel like your energy is just stagnant and you're not, you're not moving forward. You're not really moving backward, but you're not really moving forward. And at that point in time, I felt that I needed, it was time for me to move forward. Mm-hmm. And um, she's like, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to move down there. Why don't, why don't you, you know, why don't you and the girls move down to San Diego? You'll be closer to LA if you need, you know, if there's music stuff you need to do there. And um, it just made, it made a lot of sense. And so I just uh, took the leap of faith and and just did it. And, mm-hmm. and uh, <laughs> I know Luna's feeling her friskies over here. Hey, Luna. <laughs> Luna has her own fan base, by the way. Uh, every time I haven't posted any pictures of her for a while, people start asking. Yes. <laughs> where is she, where is she? Bring her on. Yeah. Luna? Yes. Speaking of fan base, too, uh, before you go on um, with your story, you have some fans in the chat, too. Cindy Clark and Lori Miller are saying hello to you. Oh, and that hi, they Cindy. Love you. Hi, Lori. <laughs> Thanks for um, being with us. Cindy is was uh, is the mother of my oldest daughter's best friend since we moved when we moved down to San Diego. She was the first friend that my daughter, my oldest daughter Katie, made that when we moved far away from all her friends up here. And mm-hmm. her her daughter's name is Ashley, and Ashley and Katie have been best friends ever since. Oh, that was like in 1996 when I moved down to San Diego, wow. and then Lori. Lori actually has the same name as my sister. Oh, wow. <laughs> Valley View. When I, uh, when I was singing at Valley View, uh, she and her, her friend, her friends used to come in and watch, watch the band all the time. And they were, they were just like, they became Firefly super fans. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, we've been, we've been sisters ever since. So Oh, that's yeah, so she cool. has she had my my maiden name and then my sister's name. So she had, you know, it was we just kind of had that connection and we we've been friends ever since. So that's hi gals. Awesome. Nice to see you here. Yeah, welcome ladies. So you um you mentioned earlier that coming to San Diego was a big turning point for you. Um how how was that? How did it how did things transition for you? Um it was interesting. I um Back then, that was in '96 when I moved down there, and the the, the really the main way that you looked for work in, in, as a musician was the San Diego Reader. Right. Mm-hmm. They had the, a whole section of who's looking for what in musician land. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, I made some phone calls and uh, looked up, found a couple things in the ad. First audition I went to, I got the gig. And um, so I kind of started from there and then other musicians would come, they would hear about, oh, there's a new singer in town. Mm-hmm. And they'd all, sh- a bunch of them would show up after their gigs to come and, and hear, hear who's singing it, at, you know, mm-hmm. in Carlsbad. I was in Carlsbad at the time. Mm-hmm. And um, I started getting a lot of other job offers after that. And so I kind of just started working with, you know, a lot of different people and, but I was working for everybody else. And uh, sometimes that's, you know, Mm -hmm. 
I, I decided I needed to learn about business mm. because when you're in, in this position of, of being in a, a musician, a singer, an artist, whatever, you also, you have to learn how to promote yourself. You are your best, your own best promoter. You have, um, you know, I had to sit down and figure all this stuff out for myself because I really, where are you going to go learn that? You mm -hmm. don't really have, they, back then anyway, they didn't really have music business classes. They kind of do mm -hmm. now. Uh, yeah. They kind of do now, mm -hmm. which is cool. But I had to go and I went to like an entrepreneurial business training um, thing that I went to for like off and on for a couple of years mm -hmm. and learned about all kinds of, you know, marketing and PR and, and um, contracts and all the things that I had to learn that I put to use when I had my own band. You, mm. had, to, you had to know all that stuff. Well, you know, yeah. you have to know all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And so um, I took a crash course in, in building a MySpace page. I learned how to code <laughs> a little bit, which was kind of interesting because when I was first starting my my uh, my band Firefly, MySpace was like really the only social media site that was really up and you know running. Mm -hmm. And so I put up my Firefly, you know, MySpace page and <laughs> and yeah. uh, learned how to do the code to make the background what I wanted. All the it was crazy. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I'd been working with a lot of other people and it just, something wasn't gelling right. And I said, I just need to do my own thing. Mm -hmm. And that's when I decided um, to have my own band. And um, I had some friends who had an original band and I thought, this would be a good way to um, freshen up some cover songs is get some guys that are really doing solo. They're doing their own original music, but they kind of weren't really doing much um, mm -hmm. after a while. And so, and of course we all went through it when, when nine 11 happened. Mm -hmm. um, it uh, put the brakes on a lot of stuff. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And a lot of stuff that never came back. Right. Afterwards. afterwards. So, you know, um, they weren't really doing much. And, and, and I just, I, I approach them. I was just, you know, good friends and I was a huge fan of their music. And I said, Hey, I have this opportunity. I have, I have venues, I have work. Would you guys consider doing this with me? And they mm -hmm. said, yes. And that's how and that. And then four months after I put Firefly together, four months, mm -hmm. we only been together for, and I entered us into the UMC, the uh, VA House yes. Battle of the Bands thing. I remember that. <laughs> ended up, we ended up coming in the top four. So it was like, mm -hmm. okay. And uh, mm -hmm. yeah, it was, it was, it was good. And um, we just, you know, took off from there and, and then uh, health. The rest is history. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I, you know, that's it. I'm so glad you brought that up because that's the first time I ever saw you sing. 
And I remember oh. I was okay. there being there and just thinking, oh my God, her voice oh. is huge oh. and just powerful, just a powerhouse oh. vocalist. And um, that was, that was great. So a well, a well-earned um, victory for you. I know it wasn't first place, but, but still that was a big contest though. It was. it was. It was. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to um, back up a little bit on some of the points that you were making about, you know, being an entrepreneur in music. And of course, the whole mission behind the Unstoppable Singer is to help emerging singers, you know, become more independent and industrious and, you know, um, help them to understand how to navigate the business of music because it isn't enough to just be a good singer. Um, if you really want to, you know, have a, have a um, sustainable career in all of this. So that was so smart of you, um, to have done that. Um, I was wondering the, recording contract that you had and going to Nashville, was that before coming to San Diego or was that after? No, that happened once I moved there. That's why I was saying moving to San Diego was sort of a huge turning point for me because mm. once I started learning all the the business side of things and the marketing and all the stuff that I mm. um, learned, I also made some, uh, some contacts uh, and ended up with a production company in Nashville that was uh, interested in having me come and, and record. And I ended up not going with them for management there. That was like a whole nother story, but um, that I don't need to get into, but um, I ended up finding a different management company here in LA. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I say here in LA uh, at the time, I was closer to LA, but, um, and we got on this trail of, and I had made so many contacts during that time, um, through my, that entrepreneurial business training that I was doing that, um, I actually had the contacts to bring investors in for a multimedia project that we had put together at the same, at that same time. And mm -hmm. so what happened was, he, this uh, this producer, and he was a management. He was in management also, but he um, he was signed as a writer with Warner Chapel at the time, mm -hmm. and he wanted to bring me in, and and uh, and we had a contract all ready to go. Plus, since I brought the investment group that was going to invest in the, he was going to have this. It was a company idea that was new at the time, no one else was doing it. They had a, a division of the company that was TV production, one that was movie production, and one that was music production. And they all fed each other. So like if somebody needed a theme song for their movie or for their TV show, then they would come to the recording side of the business. And, and it just kind of all was very symbiotic and uh, mm -hmm. we had it all ready to go. Um, contracts were set to be signed on September 15th mm. and four days before that happened, that horrible, horrible thing happened and mm. it was just beyond the beyond. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. So well, how that changed the arrangement then after that happened? It, it just, it, the whole thing just fell apart because then mm. at that point, I don't know if you remember, uh, a lot of, there was a lot of concern for um, um, economic stuff. Oh, yes. uh, and people decided that an entertain well, and at best, an entertainment project is considered a high risk investment. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, it just is in the business world. An entertainment project, especially a new up and coming one, is mm -hmm. a huge risk. Mm -hmm. And um, and so everybody once the dust settled, because I'm telling you, we didn't even think about what was happening for a good three to four weeks in once that, that day happened. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I knew people who lost people. Mm -hmm. um, it, it was uh, a devastating time yeah. to be in this country. To, I mean, I, I know it was global. The, yeah. you know, the sentiment was global, but um, so, about three or four weeks after that happened, we all kind of, our heads kind of came up and we went, hmm, I guess, well, we should probably figure out what's, what's going to happen here now with this mm -hmm. project. And uh, as it turned out, everybody was like, oh, we can't do it. We can't, we can't invest in an entertainment project right now. Yeah. And, uh, it, and, it, and then it just, it never came back. Mm. That. That's in fact after that was when I was kind of like it took about two to three years because uh, everything the whole calendar cleared out mm -hmm. uh, everything canceled because you know San Diego is a huge uh, like destination for mm -hmm. you know it's a corporate destination it's yes. a wedding destination it's it's tourism is what drives um, entertainment really in, right. Uh, in San Diego County um, mm -hmm. and in LA, there there was I knew people in LA that everything just crashed. It was yeah. like it took a good two to three years for my uh, calendar to uh, to uh, start kind of getting back to where it was before mm -hmm. the towers. Hit. But um, you know, I, I started rethinking a lot of things. I took a really big step back at that point mm -hmm. and. Uh, kind of did a little bit of evaluation and inner work and um, inner reflection about what's, what's really your goal here? Mm -hmm. what's, you know, what's your end game with this? What do you, at that point too, I'm, I mean, I'm getting it. I think that nowadays too, it's the age factor is not as big a deal as it was back then too. When right. I was up and coming, everybody was, was telling me, how I was too old and mm -hmm. um, I had, you know, I had children, so I wouldn't be able to focus on my career. No, I was mm -hmm. fully focused on my career <laughs> and still could take my kids to school. You know, it's like, yeah, I don't, we didn't have as much um, gender support maybe as females, I, which I think is why the business has been so male dominated for so many mm -hmm. decades because yeah. Um, it's not because there's a lack of talented female artists. Right. That's, 
darn sure. Um, it's just that the, the business of it was telling us that, you know, you're a woman, you're, you can't, you know, you're, you're, you have kids, you have, you know, responsibilities, whereas the men mm -hmm. kind of come and go. And yeah. so they, they put a lot more focus and a lot more support behind male artists. Mm -hmm. it, was, it was a thing, especially in the 70s and 80s. You know, yeah. we didn't have all the, you know, oh, I could tell you horror stories. We didn't have Me Too and, and Time's Up and all that stuff. <laughs> we, we had a lot of those kind of, of uh, hurdles mm -hmm. to navigate by ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, you know, that was what you did. That was just what you did. Yeah. Oh, that's so true. I, you know, and, and it's, it is another reason why now is, is such a great time for emerging artists and singers because the landscape, the rules, the structure of it is just radically different. It is radically different and we're fortunate for that, you know, but that's, um, and it makes me very happy for the new aspiring artists, mm -hmm. uh, female artists coming up because, mm -hmm. um, because we've shed a light in so many dark corners. Mm -hmm. um, I think, and, and let me just have a moment for Tina Turner today. Oh yeah. Yeah. If there was ever an artist, a female artist who had to survive mm. the darker side of a male-dominated um, business. It was her. Uh, mm -hmm. just, just, oh, I have so much respect and um, just wish her wish her well on her, her new her new journey, her new chapter yes. in her journey, her soul's journey. But she was a huge inspiration for me. Um, and, uh, yeah, her presence, her presence was so huge mm -hmm. in a time when it was really hard. Mm -hmm. It was really hard in the business for women who, you know, and they did, they put up with a lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. I didn't put up with half, you know, not even a fraction. I wouldn't even go there with what I went through, but, um, there, it was definitely a, a male world back then and uh i'm just uh, heartbroken that uh, to hear that she passed yeah mm, me too and that's I think the it's... thing to aging mm -hmm. there we go i'm on it you see <laughs> i got my i stopped stopped i ditched the die a few years back and never looked back and um and then I started letting it grow during COVID when we were, uh -huh. in, we were in lockdown. And the longer it got, the more everybody's like, don't cut it, don't cut it. So now yeah. I'm like, okay, I don't know what to do with it because it just keeps getting longer and longer. And everybody's like, oh no, it's so nice. It's silver and long and curly. Yeah, because I have really naturally curly hair. Uh-huh. So, like, so everybody's like, no, don't cut it. <laughs> Yeah, and so, you you're really known for your hair, you know, I, throughout well, your was. career. And, and I, when I stopped, when I stopped singing, mm -hmm. when I stopped Firefly, mm -hmm. I 
cut it all off in a pixie mm -hmm. and went platinum to do the transition. And, and that was that. Yeah. Let's but talk about that other... transition, if that's okay. Uh, yeah, um, yeah you... we can talk about it because yeah. it's, it's, a, it's a huge part of my story and a huge part of my journey. Um, I, in, um, when I first started Firefly, I, I was, I knew I was, I was kind of struggling with my health a little bit, but you know, you're just in that place where you're like, I was like the, I had gone from being the healthiest I'd ever been mm -hmm. to all of a sudden something, I knew something was really wrong, but nobody could tell me what it was. Oh no, your blood work looks fine. Everything's mm. fine. Everything's fine. <laughs> and, uh, it wasn't. Yeah. Um, and I started having a lot of problems with, um, like a lot of muscle and soft tissue pain, uh, tendons. Um, it was just, I would get home from a gig and I'd be sitting in my car out front and I just didn't even know if my legs would walk me in the house after, mm -hmm. after a show. Mm -hmm. And um, it got to the point where I was also, I started also not being able to move around as much on stage like I was. I was kind. Of, I was kind of a, a bouncer. I, I liked to move around a lot, and I I was not as able to do that anymore. And I noticed some things going, uh, you know, dizziness and just different aspects of, of weird health things that nobody could nobody could explain it or tell mm -hmm. me what the problem was. It took me years to finally figure it out, and it was only. Uh, it was only after I had a near-death experience and almost died from sepsis. Mm. And that was in 2018, actually. I had already I had already ended the band by then. And I ended the band in 2014 because I, I couldn't do it anymore. I was so fatigued all the time and, and I was in a lot of pain. And um, even if nobody can tell you what's wrong, it's still there. Right. And mm -hmm. so... Uh, uh, I got, I didn't get a lot of my, uh, my diagnoses, uh, which there's multiple diagnoses, but, um, and it's all, uh, autoimmune and, um, and it affects the soft tissue in my body, which mm -hmm. brings me to an important singer's point that I want, that I really wanted to have a minute to discuss mm -hmm. because I just went and saw Judy Collins. Are you familiar with Judy Collins? Yeah, from back of course. The 60s? Okay. Uh -huh. I saw her in concert. She's 84. Wow. Danielle, she's 84 <laughs> years old. And I was watching her. She was here in Fresno at the Tower Theater. And a friend of mine and I went to see her. And um, she was amazing. And I'm like, how is she still doing this at 84? And the thing that I've noticed, and I've talked to a, a couple of other singers who are my age and a little older and, uh, and I've spoken to some other singers about it. And um, there does come a time where if you've defined yourself by all the things you can do and the range that you do have and have had for so many years, 
there comes a point in time where you now have to make another shift into finding your new voice mm. and a new mm. way to st- tell those stories. Because yeah. I still feel like I'm not done with the storytelling mm-hmm. that music does. I, for me, music is about storytelling mm-hmm. and um, connecting with your lyric and yeah. just, you know, conveying something that touches another person. Yeah. And um, I, I stop, I had, I've stopped singing. I haven't sung since I ended the band mm-hmm. back in 2014. Mm-hmm. And then I got sick and I, I, it was a long recovery had uh, had to do all the learn to walk thing and all the stuff. So um, it was a very long process and uh, I'm still going through some of it, but mm-hmm. I'm at a point now where I'm like, I'm kind of looking at maybe of ways where I can maybe find a new, a new vocal style, a new thing that will allow the body that I have and the, the vocal cords that I have, now Mm -hmm. after all that that i went through health-wise um and i i don't know maybe Mm -hmm. music's not done with me yet yeah probably not (laughs) probably not so i'm curious to know um when you when you stopped the band in 2014 um the band was still going strong at the time, but you're, you're, they were, they were. it was a really hard decision for, yeah, it was a really hard decision to make. Mm-hmm. I basically told them, um, I gave them like three or four months mm-hmm. and I said, find another singer. I gave them all the contact information of all the, you know, agents and all the booking people of all the places we had worked and all the agents that had booked us for events and things like that. And, and I said, I'll give you all of it. Yeah. If, if one of you wants to take over and keep going, you just mm-hmm. have to find another singer. Yeah. Yeah. And so, oh, and of course I, I told them they had to change their name too. Cause mm-hmm. Firefly was very, at that point was very much um, associated with me. Right. being the singer and all of the management that that the agents and everything that were booking us if if it was firefly they were booking it with me as the singer sure and so um they did they did take on a different name and mm-hmm. they got another singer and they kept they kept working and did really well I give uh give chris james credit for keeping mm-hmm. their keeping that boat floating for everybody in the band um he he kept everything going with he's still doing it he's still doing yeah. it yeah yeah he is yeah i um i you know as singers right or wrong we tie so much of our identity to being a singer and it just is so you know so defining for us that had to have been an extremely difficult decision to make. I'm, I, can you talk about it? I agonized. Yeah, I agonized Mm -hmm. over that decision for a really long time. There was lots of therapy to be had over that whole, that Mm -hmm. whole last, um, let's see, what year is it? It's been almost 10 years. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Next year, it'll be 10 years since I had to leave. 
And I'm telling you, I, it was, it was one of the most agonizing um, decisions I ever had to make Yeah, was, it's like, I knew I, I had, I had to walk away at that point mm-hmm. um, because I was afraid that I was, I was afraid that I was going to collapse on stage at that point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, that would have just been beyond the beyond for me so um but yeah it was a very challenging because i i mean i've been a professional singer at that point for over 35 years right it it is it becomes your identity Mm -hmm. it's what you it's what you do it's how you are in the world it's how you relate to everything in the world and for me singing was more than just um you know, a fun career to do. It was the way that I communicated. It was, it was that vibration in the center of my body that I could feel when I sang. It healed me. Yeah. It all, it was, it was hard to lose the most healing thing that I did in my life. Yeah. Mm. Because it really did uh, music and singing for me, the, having that vibration in my body was always like, it was a healing experience for mm-hmm. me and yeah. uh, it was hard to, it was very difficult to feel like I had lost it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can imagine, but <clears throat> it is, um, I think it's such a important thing for you sharing that with, you know, singers watching this now, because Having come out of COVID, the the common story is that, you know, singers in the business were just burning themselves out left and right. And we're, you know, trying to keep up with these unbelievable schedules and just, Mm -hmm. you know, leading these very unsustainable lifestyles. And then COVID hits and it's a little bit of a relief at first, you know, it's a little break for everybody. A little break, a little rest, yeah course it drags on forever and it's and then it 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 kind of forced us to reflect on the way we were living our lives and you know now we're burning at both ends all the time it's just Mm -hmm. just, it's Mm -hmm. exhausting and it's exhausting on your body it it kind of it 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 contributes to to a breakdown in your body Mm -hmm. at some point and uh right Right. it is it's it's a big it's a physical People don't realize what a physical job we have, Danielle. Mm-hmm. You have to be strong. You have to have strength in your core mm-hmm. to be able to move around and, and, and you know, entertain people while holding it, carrying a tune, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and singing it well and doing what you do and having the breath control. It's, you know to not be able to, you know, to even like get in the gym or work out or whatever, whatever anybody else does to keep their body healthy. Well, because mm-hmm. while you're doing what you do when you, as a singer and as an entertainer, you have to be, your your physical well-being has to be really on point to be able to do it Yeah. at all. You have to be mm-hmm. physically capable mm-hmm. to watch to watch Judy Collins stand <laughs> in high heel boots at 84. Oh my God. 
<laughs> just watch her stand there for an hour and a half or two on heeled little spike heeled boots playing her guitar and singing i was just mesmerized I'm like, wow <laughs> <laughs> that's incredible it was, I... it was incredible she inspired me yeah watching her inspired me i'm like maybe maybe music isn't done with me yet maybe yeah. i can still you know in the meantime the, the 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 other aspect of of covid forced me to do find another way to express myself creatively mm -hmm. and i started writing started mm. writing one book and i've got two in process so wow kind of a, a weird little twist of oh oh my goodness um yeah. But uh, so who knows where that's going to go. But I, I'm pretty deep in them right now. So it's nothing I can just walk away from. But we'll see how that goes. Yeah, yeah. I love how you have shared your journey with us. And, and I think it's such an important story, um, as I was saying, for, you know, other singers to hear because you've had to persevere through so many different things that could potentially have been career ending had you chosen to do yeah. so um at that it's time never a straight line it's right. never a straight never, line never mm -hmm. and having to ultimately make that decision to step away from music i know it's just unfathomable uh, unfathomable to you know a lot of singers but yeah. the fact that you chose you over the identity of singing in that you knew you were more than your voice. You had to take care of yourself, you know, while it's, I know it, it, the, the heartbreak is difficult. Um, but that it's so important for singers to know that, that, you know, it, singing is singing will always be with you. Music will always be with you no matter what container it's in at any given time, but it's, uh, it doesn't define who you are and it shouldn't be the thing that leads to your demise or, or, you know, bad health. And I think it's amazing yeah. that you chose I had, that. I learned a lot about it doesn't define me, mm -hmm. but it, it, it definitely was, um, just the most like impactful part of, of my lifetime besides having my kids, of course, my daughters are amazing. And I just, I just can't even, I can't even get, don't even get me started on those don't girls. But, <laughs> um, but, um, but music was, was a huge, huge part of my development as a human being. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't know. It was. It was probably the most difficult thing that I've that I've ever had to choose to walk away from. For yeah. you know, and who knows? Like I said, it might not be done with me yet. We shall see. Yeah, I don't think so either. And and I and it never did leave you. Obviously, it's still there. You're still you know. There's still these sources of inspiration that are, you know, being put in your path, and. Uh, I think the the fact that you know you were so inspired inspired by um, Judy Collins mm -hmm. is is uh, I think that's a really special moment you know when it, when it makes you consider like you know maybe maybe there is a new there's a different way 
-hmm. there's, yeah, there's, there's the voice you had in your twenties and thirties and even beyond. And then, you know, there's, there's changes that happen and, um, it doesn't mean that you, you can't change with it. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to exploring that a little bit more. Yeah. Oh, I can't wait to see what you do. (laughs) We'll be watching. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I, um, well, to wrap things up, I always like to ask this question and, um, I'm really eager to hear what you say about this because your, your story does, uh, have so many things that you've had to persevere through. You obviously have, um, so much strength inside of you to get through very, very difficult things. What makes you unstoppable? I think that's a good question. I think that um, throughout my journey, when when it seemed like stop being being stopped was was a probability, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I think that there's just something inside there's there's something inside that drives you on mm-hmm. and it makes it makes quitting even though i had to walk away when i did mm-hmm. in that respect all along the path when i would come up to these what were seeming like roadblocks everywhere all they are is a fork in the road yeah and you take one or the other mm-hmm. and you end up where you end up and then there's you come to another fork so it's there's never really there's no place that that has to be able to stop you you just take the different road you just mm-hmm. take the other fork yeah you know it's it, there's you become you become a stronger version of yourself with each fork in the road that you take. Mm -hmm. So those forks end up becoming, they're like in video games, they're little power boosters. Right. Yeah. I like that. Little power boosters. When you make those choices and you go, okay, well, there's a fork in this road. You Mm -hmm. become unstoppable when you learn that taking a fork in the road means you keep going yeah and nine times out of ten i'm gonna say it always ended up being for the best yes even if it was hard even if it was you're thinking that's it it's done i'm over and the cat's meowing at me um (laughs) he's agreeing i think yeah there's no end there's it's not an end in the road it's a fork and you just take the next fork in the road yeah no, that's so powerful. That's so powerful and so true. It's just, it's just choices. It's just mm-hmm. choices and you just have to it's keep true. going. You just have to yeah. keep listening to that inner strength. It's, that a, you pivot. Said that it's a pivot. You just learn to pivot when it's, mm-hmm. when it's time for a change, you learn to pivot. And, and we always, we always uh, become more defined by the grace in which we pivot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love this conversation, Shelly. This was, this was 
Awesome. I'm so glad we finally made this connection happen. And, and I thank you so, so much for having you. me. I really, yeah. really loved, loved getting together with you today too. Yeah, this was great. Well, I will be, I will continue to uh, watch your story unfold on Instagram or whatever platform we're on at the time. But um, I'm excited about the inspiration that you, you know, recently experienced. Um, and I can't wait to see what happens. Thanks so much for joining us. If you love this conversation as much as I did and would like to help support the podcast, please subscribe and leave a rating and review. To stay up to date with The Unstoppable Singer and get all the behind the scenes content, you can follow me on Instagram at Unstoppable Singer. And while you're there, please share this episode on your Instagram stories and tag me at Unstoppable Singer. Once again, I'm Danielle Tucker, a professional singer and vocal coach. I've spent the last 25 years crafting a successful career for myself in the music industry and showing other aspiring singers how to do the same. The world needs your voice now more than ever. So get out there and create an unstoppable career. Thanks so much for joining.